back to the second episode of E Pluribus Unum, where we talk all things America, but with decorum. Uh, today's guest is my good friend, Hudson Allen. <laughs> hey, what's going on? Uh, Hudson, how long have we known each other? Let's see here. We definitely met, like, freshman year, which would have been, like, three years ago, maybe? Give or Perhaps. take? I don't know. So I met Hudson, actually, in uh, one of our... our what was it? It was an English class. <laughs> Thought this kid was probably like the biggest nerd. He was asking a whole bunch of questions about the <laughs> syllabus. And then we yeah. ended up becoming like some of the best of friends. So <laughs> welcome, Hudson. Yeah. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the U.S. election. Um, as many of you know, we are less than a month out from the final general election where we will decide who will be the president for the next four years. Uh, our our earlier indications have been that the pool was going to be oversaturated with a whole bunch of different political ideologies, but uh, to many people's disappointment, President we Trump, have who is Joe the Biden current as the Democratic the presidency. Um, and so there were just a few things that really did uh, sort of capture my attention with both candidates. I think that it's been it's become pretty apparent. Uh, that Trump has such a large following. And I think that's something that's always really intrigued me. Um, and so, Hudson, I, I know that we've spoken about this a number of times before, mm -hmm. uh, how it's almost bizarre uh, the way that President Trump is able to captivate people. And specifically, he's been really good at uh, capturing the, the minds and the attentions of uh, evangelical Christians and uh, American Midwest folk. Um, and I was just curious, did you have any like comments in regard to that? Yeah, yeah. One of the things um, I was actually talking with um, one of my other friends about, and I just think it's really interesting, is that it seems like... Um, yeah, you would think that Trump, just with his personality and, you know, some of his mannerisms, like, he's a very abrasive person. But I think that um, to a lot of Americans, that's kind of seen more as um, strength in a lot of areas, if that makes sense. And mm -hmm. I think we were even talking about how uh, toxic masculinity is like such a thing in America. And I think he really does play to that. Um, just that, like, look how masculine I am, even in the debate a couple, yeah. you know, a week ago. He was just completely uh, kind of dominating the conversation, not in terms of what he was saying, and, and but more in terms of like how loud he was saying it. Oh, you know, definitely. he just very much like took control of the podium, talked over the moderator and Biden quite a bit. And I think that's kind of how his supporters view him is just as this strong leader who um, kind of just doesn't take no for an answer and can do whatever he wants. And I think that appeals to like, um, yeah, just that masculinity that people really historically like, you know, we've only had male presidents. So I think that's part of, you know. Yeah, I think that that's whole. I think that's really interesting. And I think, you know, I come obviously from or it may not be so obvious, but I come from New York and there's <laughs> definitely a more liberal uh, leaning in terms of our politics and right. the way that we sort of negotiate some of those gender and, and social constructs. Um, and I think, yeah, you coming from the Midwest, you'd probably have a greater understanding of like how exactly we are to like relate to each other and like not just traditional like gender roles, but like how we should focus and, 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 and structure ourselves within a society. 
Um, and I think that's part of the reason why there's so much pushback mm-hmm. towards him. I think that there are a lot of people that are looking to renegotiate these social con- uh, contracts and sort of move past that uh, overt masculine sort mm-hmm. of domineering personality right. and move more in a direction where there is a lot more inclusivity mm-hmm. and there's a lot more uh, just opportunity for people in general and right. that I don't know I, I, I've always wondered where the line should sort of be drawn in terms of like how we can keep uh, sort of those traditional values because I don't want to ever invalidate a person's experience and I think that you know who am I to tell someone from you know middle America how they should be living their lives or right. how liberal they should be right. but at the same time I think that when we're looking at America as a country and as a nation uh, there needs to be almost a renegotiation of you know how we are to work within the system and how we are to you know create mm-hmm. a society that really benefits everyone and I think that uh, Donald Trump has been a very good example <laughs> of uh, sort of what uh, ultra conservatism sort of represents in, in America. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think perhaps that's the reason why so many people are able to, you know, endorse and sign on to his message. Yeah. Uh, because coming from the other end of the aisle, it seems almost a little bit too radical. But I would still mention, even in that same breath, that I don't think Biden is as liberal as as uh trump and his other opponents would make him out to be oh yeah i would consider him very very like moderate in a lot of areas um and then also though to your point about like middle america and stuff like that like i totally agree i also think if you look at um if you look at the data right uh trump like typically stereotypically um you know he gets a lot of his votes and support from older people like kind of previous generations then if you're like gen z or millennial you're more likely to vote for biden and i think kind of that goes back to what we were talking about with masculinity where historically masculinity was like this homogenous thing you know where it was like um I'm the man, I'm the head of the household, all these kind of themes of uh, men have to be leaders, women stay in the home, um, was very typical of like past generations. And then in our more current like culture, it's kind of evolved to this thing where it's like, no, it's, it's more equal footing. And so I think you're seeing that with younger voters, that's why they're looking to move away from this um, like stereotypical picture of this male as this domineering masculine powerful figure who just you know bulldozes his way through everyone yeah so basically what you're saying (laughs) is that trump is the man and that's yeah (laughs) and i think no yeah and i honestly think a lot of his constituents really like look up to him as like a man you know what i'm saying like a lot of his male constituents look at him and think like man like he is the ish like he just has his stuff together he you know commands the room and i think they love that about him um but i would say I'm excited to see that culture is maybe moving away from this homogenous idea of like men have to be this and men have to be that because I think that um, I think that really is more harmful in some areas than others. Um, I think men can be that way, but to, I think it's funny that uh, you know that's stereotypically 
what men had to be for so long. And I think it's interesting to see how that might be changing in this election. So I'm like, like, that's what I'm really curious about, because I think this whole election is more of a commentary on like how our culture is evolving and changing in, when it looks at things like, you know, typical, a typical man, a typical woman, like what does typical mean and like what's yeah. normal? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I'm totally following you. And there are a couple of things that I just like to point out. I think that the reference point for what you had described as like Trump representing the man of the house and this, you know, massively patriarchal sort of structure. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, a lot of uh, uh, the roots of that can be found within, you know, evangelical Christian culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that you can even make an extension for that and say that, you know, uh, uh, most world religions sort of values and favors, you know, a, a patriarchal sort of setup. And yeah. I think that, you know, the people that you do find uh, that are in full support of, of President Trump um, typically come from uh, uh, some sort of uh, Christian denomination. Right. Um, Which is interesting. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree. I think that's it's something that I've struggled with because um, I think we have to be careful when we like talk about um, because obviously the society that most biblical characters lived in was very patriarchal. Does that mean that that was right? Probably not. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? Like there were slaves in the Bible. Do, do Christ, should Christians condone slavery? No. So I think it's this challenge of like a lot of people want to go back and be like, yeah, Christians, you know, Christianity is inherently patriarchal. And I think they're kind of conflating the fact that like there are books in the Bible that are historical, purely historical. It's just telling the story like this is the way it was. It's not saying like it's a good thing or bad thing. It's just at the end of the day, like society was very patriarchal back then. But that doesn't mean that like God necessarily condones or the God of the Bible necessarily like condones that patriarchy. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's something like as modern Christians, we have to be really like cognizant of of just because this was the way that culture did it back then doesn't mean that it was like condoned by the Bible. Like we have to be really careful. You know what I'm saying? Just careful, I guess, because we don't want to get conflated with all those people who are like, yeah, men are the only, because I think most modern Christians don't actually believe that. Right. Like most modern Christians don't believe that only men should be able to lead, you know? So I think, I don't know. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. And I would even push a little bit further and say, I think that, you know, it's, to me, President Trump represents the the exact antithesis of what, you know, the life and mission and work of Jesus Christ was. And so, hmm. you know, I've always been blown away by the amount of support President Trump's gotten from <laughs> the evangelical community. Yeah. I mean. But what's interesting, <laughs> no, and I, I agree, like, I agree with some parts of that, too. And But I think what's interesting is because, you know, me, like, I'm very, like, if there was a perfect middle of the road between left and right, that would be like what I try to hit. Um, and I think something like as a very much outsider who you, you know, you barely got me to even register to vote because I was <laughs> so like, oh, I just don't want to be a part of this at all. Um, something I've noticed kind of as an outsider is that like what you just said, a lot of Trump supporters would say the same thing about like, I don't know how you could be a Christian and not vote for Trump. And I just think that's funny that people kind of on both sides of the aisle are saying the same things oppositely. And 
I don't know. I've just been really thinking about that lately. I'm like, what does that mean? And I also wanted to say um, on the point about I think Trump's masculinity and all that stuff does really perfectly represent um, like I'm shocked he was a Democrat before because I think the way like I feel like the main um, stereotype of like Republicans in the conservative like aisle of the political spectrum is that they're like it's very much a work for what you have if um, like if you don't like the way it is, like, too bad kind of thing. You know what I mean? I think that's typically how Republicans are stereotyped. If, like, you have to work for everything on your own, like, they they typically oppose, like, welfare and, like, the government aiding people. Like, they want to be just independent, do their own thing. And then if someone needs help, like, well, so what? Yeah. You know what I mean? Kind yeah, of thing. It's, it's very so much uh, independent. Like, they don't want mm-hmm. the government, like, really to be able to force them to do anything. You yeah. know what I mean? So, like, yeah. Trump very much, like, fits that model of like no one can tell me what to do like i think they looked up to him because he embodies that like independence or what they see as like independence my life it's my life um in a way that like my choice yeah and no one can like um like i don't want the government interfering i don't want anybody interfering taxing me all this stuff you know that's why republicans are always like lower taxes and democrats are always like raise taxes because they're very like opposite and not like that's just me generalizing obviously i don't think democrats are always trying to raise taxes and republicans are always trying to lower taxes but in general you know what i'm saying um yeah i think that that you're speaking you're you're speaking to the idea that you know what sort of captivates people is this sense of like independence and just taking Mm. charge right um and basically dominating the 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 situation um and it's interesting because that brings us into our next point of trump and covid so over (laughs) the weekend uh well it was actually friday that it was announced but there are reports coming in that you know a diagnosis was made earlier perhaps on even thursday um trump contracted covid along with melania Mm -hmm. uh kellyanne conway chris christie (laughs) uh Kaylee McEnany, uh, yeah, I mean, the list goes on and the list right. has continued to sort of expand. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I text you as soon as it came out. Yeah. It was probably like it was two like, minutes yeah, after it was it like was midnight released. or yeah. something. I was like, I was in bed and I remember, yeah, you sent me the text and I was like, wow, this is insane. And uh, wait, you have to update me though because he, he was released from the hospital yesterday, correct? So, yeah, d- just some just some background. Uh, President Trump was admitted to the hospital over the weekend. I believe it was on a Friday. Um, and his doctors gave him a concoction of just, like, so many things. Um, I, I want to – I'll probably go ahead and add a um, an appendix at the end of this just detailing the exact medicines. I don't want to, like, give false information, but I do know for a fact that he was receiving remdesivir. Um, which is a new antiviral drug that they've been mm-hmm. using for COVID patients. Um, so, yeah, he, he yeah. basically goes into the hospital on Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, there are numerous accounts that, you know, yeah. he's perhaps, you know, faking the work while he's there. There's a picture of him. <laughs> oh, I know. He's at, yeah. Walter With Reed's the like, Sharpie. Yeah. And the, yeah, they zoomed in on the paper. I saw that. They yeah. zoomed in on the paper that he was signing and he was using a Sharpie and it looked like there was nothing on the page. Yeah, just yeah. his name. Literally, like you could zoom in and you see his yeah. famous, like, you know, big letter uh, signature right. just written down on the paper. I thought that that was very interesting. Um, I also... Recognize? I, I don't know. I think that uh, what's been called into the uh, what's been called into question, especially since the debate, um, is his handling of coronavirus. Um, 
Bob Woodward had met with him for an exclusive interview, which turned out to be, you know, a bear trap for Trump, um, where he basically <laughs> just says, like, yeah, we knew that this was, like, you know, a danger, <laughs> right. uh, but we didn't want to panic anyone. And in the debate, you can hear uh, Biden, you know, retorting against that, saying, you know, we didn't panic. You did. <laughs> uh, leaders are supposed to lead. And I think that speaking to, you know, our earlier point of, you know, being uh, an independent uh, just leader that gets yeah. their hands dirty uh, yeah. with the with the, the mess of what we have at hand. Um, I think that the response I think that their response to Trump's response basically um, has been varied and I sort of want to get a take of like you know mm -hmm. how you feel about that and I'll interject yeah. after <laughs> yeah just about uh, Trump's support like supporters like what they're doing with him having COVID and everything well more specifically just like your reaction to his response yeah I think um, I, I really have not known what to do um, about like Trump having COVID, I think it's going to be really interesting to see, like how well he recovers because obviously now he's kind of in the recovery phase. Um, I was shocked. I wasn't. No, let me rephrase it. I wasn't shocked at all that he got it. I was shocked, um, just by like some of the responses I saw, and I think, I think we have to be really careful and stuff like this. Like I was texting you, you know, like it, we have to be really careful. Obviously, like there are plenty of us out there. Who, uh, Trump is not our favorite person on the planet, but at the same time, he's still our president. So I was definitely like worried about him just because I think in general, like anytime a president dies, you're throwing the country into chaos. Right. Yeah. So yeah. even just for the sake of the country and this for the sake of him and his family, like it would be much be like better, I think, in the best interest of even people who don't support him if he, you know, if there's some sort of continuity. Right. Exactly. And I mean, obviously, like, if you don't like him, just vote him out. Like, I just was shocked at the sheer volume of people being like, oh, no, Trump has COVID. Although I will and like, you know, being sarcastic and actually being happy. And I thought that was kind of nasty and something like I don't want to be portrayed just because I don't support Trump. I don't want to be portrayed as someone who hates him. Right. Because yeah. I don't actually like I don't actually hate him. You know, like I, I know me and you talked about it. Like we both prayed for him while he was in the hospital, because at the end of the day, like he is a human being, even though we you know, don't necessarily with agree with the way he's led. But I also um, did want to point out, too, I did see the irony, and I think it was interesting to see, um, you know, all a lot of his supporters, I think, in general, sort of believe that uh, the virus is a little bit of a hoax, or at least, like, overblown. Um, and, you know, he's hinted at things like that before, and I think it was really interesting to see, like, the irony of... So he's saying that uh, the whole virus is a complete hoax and stuff like that, or just things to that effect, you know, hinting at, mm -hmm. like, it's not that big of a deal. You know, he was asked about wearing masks and, like, you know, how he would, he, like, at his rallies just gets a huge number of people together and most of them don't wear masks and, like, why is he okay with that? Things like that. Yeah, Herman Cain died after his Tulsa <laughs> Yeah, you were telling me that. Yeah, yeah it's insane. And I think um, for me... It was kind of also gross to see, not gross, I don't even know what word I would use, just odd to see how crazy and extreme the response to him getting COVID was on the part of his like white staff team, right? They ship him off to um, the hospital. I can't, what's the name of the hospital? Walter Reed yeah, Medical they, Center. They yeah, they ship him off to Walter Reed Medical Center. And then when he gets there, um, 
you know, they they have like like 20 doctors. Like, I don't know if you saw the press briefing, but his main doctor, Dr. Conley or something like that, comes out and, um, you know, debriefs on like the state like how the president's doing and there's like 10 doctors behind him i'm like you have a huge team of like the best doctors probably in the world like some of the best doctors in the world working on your behalf day and night you know doing everything they can giving you all this medication i know i heard they put him on o2 for a little bit right Mm -hmm. because he wasn't doing good just round the clock just and uh, (laughs) yeah exactly like most people wouldn't even get one of those doctors let alone you know like 10 of them working on their behalf just exclusively for them and again i know he's the president but i just think it's it's kind of like okay if this virus isn't a big deal at all why do you have 10 doctors working around the clock making sure that you you know you have it now why is the response so extreme if it's not that big of a deal it feels like a little bit of an inconsistency where it's like I, I mean, I, I would never speak to whether or not Trump like cares about people because I just don't know him personally. But I would say it optically looks like he, uh, you know, is looking out for his best interest yeah. and maybe not looking just just from that one instance. Does that make sense? Yeah, you it know, makes it, complete it was weird. Sense. It's kind of like it makes complete sense. It reminded me of like like a, a little bit. Uh, it reminded me of. I have a huge problem with like the healthcare system because you know people who make more money have more access to good healthcare and the ones they're the ones who least need it most of the time, right? And that's kind of how it felt. It's like yeah, you're powerful and you have connections, so you get really good healthcare, but you're the one saying that this isn't even a thing yeah. versus people who you know maybe are don't make you know don't have the connection and power and can't get that type of healthcare and they actually uh, do feel like they're at risk. It's just like this weird. I don't know. It bothered me, I guess, because it would be one thing if he really like was out here saying like, no, the virus is a huge concern. Everyone needs to be careful. But if he's saying it's not a big deal and then he gets shipped off and like has this extreme response to him getting COVID, it just feels yeah inconsistent. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree with you. And I think the thing that shocked me the most, or I shouldn't say shocked because that's not even the word for it, but the thing that perhaps upset me the most was, uh, yeah, the, the amount of attention that was poured into his care. Um, and that's not to say that I don't think that he was deserving of care. I think that, you know, I, I told you this was perhaps the first time that I actively prayed for the president <laughs> and said, you know, yeah. what, God, like help me understand him for like where he's at. But also, yeah. you know, look after look after his health, because I did recognize that as a priority. But uh, I think that, you know, w- what many people and myself included uh, became upset with is just the amount of attention uh, that he got following his diagnosis and his admission to the hospital um, and the fact that, you know, the the drugs that he was taking um, or have been taking, uh, they're not, you know, your your ibuprofen to, you know, <laughs> make your headache go away. I mean, right. you're talking about like remdesivir and other antivirals and, yeah. you know, just a whole bunch of, uh, of a bunch of concoctions that are aimed at, you know, curing severely ill <laughs> COVID patients. Um, and I think what sort of brought this all into uh, perspective for me, uh, my dad, he caught COVID over the summer. Um, and when they were announcing so, or, or, or describing some of the drugs that like, the president was taking, I was like, oh my gosh, this is like some of the things that they were using to like keep my dad alive. Mm-hmm. Um, he obviously had it like really bad. And so I think that uh, that paired with the sort of discrepancies uh, between what Dr. Sean Conley was saying and then uh, Trump's chief of staff Mark Meadows was sort of you know saying Mm -hmm. they were in 
total contrast of each other. Right. Um, I think that, you know, if you go a little earlier back, Mark Meadows, you know, shared that he was extremely concerned for the president and mm-hmm. that this was like a critical moment for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the other hand, the people closer to Trump, like physically closer to Trump at the moment, uh, Dr. Conley w- was painting a different picture without trying to yeah. really, you know, alarm people. And I get the, I, I, I get the need for good PR at this point of not wanting to worry people anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also recognize the sort of irresponsible uh, irresponsible nature to some of those like comments on mm-hmm. and i think that that's sort of what's ticked a lot of people off you know we went from yeah. this virus doesn't exist whatsoever <laughs> uh we shouldn't even like think of this 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 isn't a thing to you know this is a thing that's only harming just a couple of people to you know trump then being admitted to the hospital and mm-hmm. we're all like super sympathetic this is our president uh, and then, you know, just yesterday or it was today, actually. No, I lied. Sorry. <laughs> it was yesterday. Last night. Uh, he's on the record saying, you know, this isn't something that you have to worry about. Like we figured it out when the reality is that's just not the case <laughs> yet. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I, I don't want it to seem as though like I'm just bashing the guy. I think that I disagree with him on his policies and I definitely disagree with some of his rhetoric, um, if not all of his rhetoric. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I, I, I think that the that his response is just uh, paled in, compa- in comparison to other world leaders. I think if you look around uh, globally, we are you know, one of the wealthiest nations in the world by our mm-hmm. GDP alone. And I think that you know, other countries who uh, compete and compare with us in, in that regard uh, have done exceptionally well, uh, given, given what the virus is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that if you look at countries like the UK and if you look at Germany, uh, look at France. These I'm specifically naming like hotspot European mm-hmm. like you know zones. Uh, these are countries that have have been affected, but they've not been affected nearly as bad as the U.S. has. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that part of that is just given the policy of the this administration. And so I'm hopeful for something new in November, which leads me to our next point about Biden. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Oh yeah, I can, almost I can as talk controversial about as Trump. Yeah, in a um, way, yeah. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I think it's one thing I was talking to uh, one, another one of my friends about today, actually, and I think it's something we have to be careful of. Is we're so biased at this point with this election. Mm-hmm. Like we have to be really careful to get outside our like political biases when it comes to evaluating these candidates right now granted we have seen a lot more of trump recently just because he's been our president for four years so we have like more to go off of but i think it's important like for instance one thing and i feel like you can speak to this a lot too like more than i could honestly um just because a candidate for instance is a democrat doesn't mean he is not racist right like you look at a candidate like biden like he's a little controversial even on the race issue and i'm not saying he is racist but i'm just saying we have this tendency to be like okay this candidate like is a republican they're this way and this candidate's a democrat this way but you really have to look at like i think there's a I think watching the debate was really interesting because like and I I would encourage anyone like go watch the debates like they're super annoying but you're getting like directly like the candidates policies from their own mouths so no one's misconstruing it you know someone can come up to me and be like yeah this candidate's a racist or yeah this candidate believes this but like I have to go do my own research you know what I'm saying yeah 
and I, I don't know, I just have been thinking about that a lot with Biden is um, like, we really have to vet him too. You know what I'm saying? Just because, and I agree, like, I, I mean, we've had so many conversations about this. Like Trump is not a candidate I personally could ever vote for, for a multitude of reasons. Most of them honestly having to do more with him as a person rather than his policies. Um, which I won't get into. I mean, we've talked about that so much. (laughs) It's honestly like, (laughs) it's one of those things where it's like, if I would never see myself being friends with them, I don't know if I could vote for them. Like if I just, I just try to picture myself meeting them in person and thinking, would I just like hate this person? Would I hate being around this person? And if I do think that, like I probably am not going to vote for them, right? But uh, that's besides the point. I'm just, beside the point, I'm just saying like, yeah, again, we still have to vet Biden because you know there's this like notion of like oh the lesser of two evils but eventually if you keep picking the lesser of two evils you're still going to get evil right you know what i mean evil is evil right yeah so we have to be careful of just always saying like oh just pick the lesser of two evils um i'm not saying don't vote obviously i registered to vote so i'm still trying i'm still (laughs) trying to yeah you you got me to register so i'm still trying to figure that out but i think we have to be careful not to just be like oh anything's better than whatever is happening like it could get worse it doesn't have to necessarily get better right you know I think that uh, some of the criticisms of of Biden has been some of his uh, past patterns of of voting Um, and specific to the the race issue. I mean, back I think this was back in the (laughs) 80s. um, There was a series of of racial laws that were Mm -hmm. put out and, you know, Biden uh, wasn't on the right side of history, to say the least. But I think I and not not. I'm, I'm not. Uh, uh, endorsing no, no, any yeah, sort I know. of like racial or uh, racist policy, um, but I do recognize, and this is can be said for for Kamala Harris as well because she does uh, yeah. have have a track record of. I feel like not she has a better, her, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, sure. She she has a, a, a record of you know also in, uh, incarcerating uh, black folks for you know low drug drug crimes, right. Um, but all that said, I think that that was very typical for that particular period. And again, it's mm-hmm. not an endorsement to say like this was right. I mean, yeah. we can use the same argument with slavery. I think that you mentioned earlier on, right. uh, you know, back in biblical times, it was, you know, almost normal yeah. to, and I put that in air quotations for those that can't see, <laughs> um, it was almost normal to, you know, have and own slaves. Right. Um, but obviously that wasn't right and it was yeah. something that was very specific to that time and I think that you know uh, the time that they had entered entered into politics and uh, was really creating a name and platform for themselves and for their party um, that was perhaps the characteristics that you would need to sort of uh, uh, engage with in order to you know really stand out as a credible uh, politician but all that to say I think that more more recent uh I, and i, I want to speak both to biden but just single out kamala harris right now um prior to prior to the presidential elections i want to say like within the past like 10 years kamala harris like has been lauded as one of the uh not most progressive uh politicians or, or democrats rather um but as just like a heavy hitter Mm-hmm. This woman would walk into the chambers of the Senate and grill you and, you know, <laughs> yeah. get answers. She yeah. She's very powerful in that way. She's very tactful in the way that she uh, ask, ask her questions and, you know, sort of elicit responses from people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that, that that for me 
demonstrates some of that strength that we were talking about earlier from a, a candidate, but it's not coming from a man this time. It's yeah. coming from a woman. It's Which coming from so a black woman. Yeah. Uh, and that, that man, it, it blows my mind. Um, right. And again, I think, I, I don't think that this should be like an endorsement just, you know, this is an affirmative action where we're saying like, <laughs> oh, she's black and she's a woman. Let's like put her in. Yeah. Um, but I do think that, you know, her her recent track record uh, within politics sort of speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I also don't think that she's as progressive. Same with Joe Biden. Um, they're not as progressive as uh, some other Democratic candidates. So that gives me a little bit, at least a little bit of hope that, you know, they would be able to meet mm-hmm. more Americans in the middle, which is where I feel like most of Americans, yeah. most Americans fit somewhere closer to the middle than on each end of the, of the spectrum. Right. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. I'd like to think so. Yeah. I definitely would like to think that if you, even if you fall on one side or the other, I'd like to think that most Americans can at least see over to the other side. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Cause I think that's really important. Like for me, I grew up, like my parents are very conservative my grandparents are very conservative and then um i would i'm probably like would consider be considered like a hyper liberal by like most of them <laughs> because i'm you know either center or a little bit left of it um so i've definitely like seen both sides and i definitely i will say even though i disagree with points on both sides i can still i'd like to think i can still see where they're coming from and i think that's important you know what i'm saying yeah. like, i think it's important to be like i disagree with you but I'm not going to, like, dehumanize. Does that make yeah. sense? You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, Because, like, even for someone like Trump, like, very abrasive, all these things, like, all these personality types, he's still a human, right? And, like, I can still see where, in a lot of ways, he thinks what he do he's doing is right or at least beneficial or, you know, advan- advantageous in some way. Granted, like, he may have ulterior, moti- ulterior motives that we don't know about. I mean, a- anybody could, but I think we have to be careful about, like, motive judging if that makes sense you know what i'm saying yeah. you can judge someone's actions can you judge someone's motives like no one really knows like what's going on behind the scenes but also to the um i wanted to bring this up because i'm curious what you think about the like racial stuff so for me one of the things that's challenging about biden is okay you have you have some quotes from i love to watch those like compilation videos you know where they're like talking about like all the times like politicians have slipped up i think they're yeah. so funny but you have you know trump on the record saying things like even just a week ago during the debate like he wouldn't really condemn white supremacy and everyone's like in the background like what the heck yeah he said proud boys stand, stand back and stand by yeah and now they're using that as a rallying <laughs> cry right yeah so very bad like not not good on his record in terms of like racial justice at all i think that's Obviously, uh, you know, a point against him, not just a point against him. Like, it's a very, like, negative thing. Um, So you have him saying things that are very wrong um, on camera. And we have these. Right. And then he um, were quick to say, like, this proves that Trump's a racist. Right. Which he very well could be, you know, based on some of his (laughs) based on not just some of his comments, but a lot of his comments. But then I think you go back and like I'll watch the compilations of Biden. And he said some things, too, that I'm like, like that one time he said, something along the lines of and like you'll have to fact check me but he said something i've watched him say it on camera too he said something along the lines of like um like black kids can be just as like smart as white or as um as rich kids implying that like rich kids are always right white right or yeah yeah yeah. i think the the uh yeah his exact saying was 
uh, poor kids can be yes. just as good as white kids. That's exactly. And that's so the implication was that, you know, <laughs> every single poor kid was a black kid yeah. in need of like, you know, sort of uh, reaching the standard as a white rich kid. Yeah. And not just of like wealth, but also of like intelligence. Like, yeah, like that shouldn't even be in question that, you know what I'm saying? And he, the fact that he even brought that up says something. Granted, I'm sure there's context, but I think when he says things like that, people are quick to say, oh, well, Biden's not a racist. He's just a little stupid sometimes. And I think yeah. we have to be careful because that is a little bit of a double standard, right? Yeah. If Trump says something racist, he's a racist. If Biden says something racist, he's just stupid. Like, do you know what I'm saying? And yeah. we have to be careful. I'm not saying one or the other is correct. I'm just saying we got to make sure we use the same standard because in, in my mind, <laughs> from things I've seen, I feel like they both have a fairly racist past. Mm -hmm. Um, it will be interesting to see what they do policy wise because they both said very like and like you said like Biden was on the wrong side of history on some of those deals and Trump's been on the wrong side of history you know while he's been president so it's important to just I think keep that standard the same not just on yeah. race but just on anything it's yeah, like, yeah it's like you can't assume that Trump has bad racist and Trump tensions all the time and Biden always is just when he messes up it's always just an honest mistake you know what I mean like yeah. we got to keep the meter does that make sense? It does. In some it areas, does. you can definitely look back and be like, okay, Trump clearly has a little bit of prejudice. And I think that's fair. But I think we have to be measured and actually like show proof of that. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, and I think that you bring up a, an excellent point. And this is sort of like how I conceptualize even this podcast, to do things in fairness, do things right. with respect, do things with uh, a sense of decorum. Um, and I think that that's perhaps something that has been lost on, uh, been lost to all of us. Right. Um, I think that you know there's a lack of ownership and responsibility from when we do make mistakes, and I think that that's something that just needs to be encouraged, not just mm -hmm. you know within a, a home, but you know even at the heights of uh, heights of government, at the right. heights of civilization, we should you know have a reinforcement of that value for fairness and, and equity. Yeah. Um, totally and I'm agree. I'm really hopeful that, you know, w with this next election, we'll see some of that, you know, whether Trump wins or loses, I really do hope uh, that after these, uh, after this election, we can look back at the past four years and truly do some soul searching, some <laughs> reflecting and say, yeah. all right, this is what worked. This is what <laughs> did not work. Yeah. Um, and here's how we need to move in the future. Yeah. Um, and I guess this brings us to our last point of like sort of what we both envision the next four years plus because it life doesn't just end hopefully we'll see but yeah like what what are you most excited about what do you see happening within the next within the next four years yeah. not just politically but socially how we mm -hmm. relate to people uh, yeah. how we see ourselves in, in in the society that we're in now yeah um I think, okay, honestly, we brought this up at the beginning, but circling back to that, I think one of the things I'm most excited about is how um, the idea of like what makes a man a man and what makes a woman a woman is being reexamined. Because I think it's just cool to see because I grew up, my, um, my dad is very, um, my dad is like very like manly, but he's not... He's not like a Trump at all, like where he's very like, whereas Trump's very loud, domineering, things like that. My dad always was the one to tell me, like, strength is being the last person in the room to speak. Strength is being the one who can take 
can take criticism and not feel like they have to lash out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like strength is be, is self control, and that's what being a man is all about. And so I think growing up, a lot of my friends, like I'd hang out with, like we had very conflicting views of like masculinity because I was raised like strength is about self control, and they were raised like strength is about being the strongest person in the room, right? You know, yeah. being like I'm in control, things like that. And so I think it's cool to see how like society is. I think I really do think in this election, society is reexamining like. What does it mean to be a man? And same with, like, I can't speak as much because I'm not a woman, but I do like to see, like, people like Kamala Harris. Like, regardless of whatever you think of her politics, it's still really cool to see just strong women up in, um, like, front stage and center, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Just um, being, like, being powerful. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, in all honesty, like, I love to see it because I think it's important that women don't have, like, just like men can be the last ones to speak, women can be the first ones to speak, yeah. you know, and that doesn't make them unfeminine, it just means they're strong, you yeah. know, and I don't think, I think some of these ridiculous uh, gender roles we've gotten, like, lodged in our brains ever since we had kids are being kind of torn down, and I think that's, I think it's exciting to see because I, I, yeah, I just, I think that's cool. It almost speaks to that idea of representation and yeah. how you are to see, you know, both of these both of these, not just individuals, but uh, types of people and right. how we should relate to each other. Yeah, I yeah. think I think you're you're spot on with that. That's something that I'm really interested in seeing. Um, and I think that this has been a conversation that began uh, n- not just with Obama. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. This has been a conversation that we've seen uh, in development for uh, the past two decades. And uh, I think you're absolutely right it's going to be interesting to watch how uh this new or or this potentially new administration sort of takes on uh that narrative and how they Mm -hmm. sort of shape it um i'm most interested in seeing how we recover i mean anyone that knows me knows that i love politics and beyond politics i love economics yeah um i think it's going to be really interesting seeing how we are to recover uh financially from what's gone on <laughs> from the pandemic and just well, the in, or pandemic just in, general. in the past four years i right. think that there's been a lot of uh there's been a lot of deregulation and you know some can argue that that's been very good and i can also attest to the the uh victories that have come from deregulation but mm. i think given the given the pandemic there's been so little uh support where it's been needed so i I think that that's going to be interested uh, interesting um i'm also very interested to see how we are to uh have some sort of remediation and and reconciliation uh with each other and i'm not talking about just like at the local level um but between uh, between different geographical regions i feel as though there's been uh there's almost been this tension between uh metropolitan uh, America and, you know, country, rural America. Um, And I think that one of the most unique opportunities I've had in my life is to, you know, find myself as a transplant from New York City, which is arguably, like, not arguably, we are the greatest city in the world. I wanted to make sure I said that. (laughs) 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 Jokes, jokes. Um, But honestly, like we are one of the biggest cities in the world. Um, We are very metropolitan. There's just so much diversity there. Uh Um, And I've, I've found myself, you know, fortunate to be a transplant from New York City to essentially being placed in uh, the middle of nowhere America, <laughs> uh, which yep. is Dakota, Georgia, which is not which is not a, uh, a, a, a 
shady sort of comment towards Takoa. I've actually grown to really appreciate Takoa. Um, but within that, I, I, I've learned that, you know, we're perhaps a lot more similar than we are different. And mm -hmm. I think that that's uh, one of the challenges we face in the next uh, four years to sort of recognize all of those similarities instead of just uh, continuing to circularly uh, revisit all of the things that mm -hmm. make us different. I agree. Yeah. No, I think I think you're right. I think that speaks too to the just the fact that everyone in America, most Americans are the same in that they want the government to work for them. Right. I mm -hmm. think that's the whole point. And it's more a question of, um, you know, for a lot of people, for instance, for people who live outside of metropolitan areas, they tend to vote for um, like politicians who are going to deregulate because they just they want to be away from the city. They want to be away from that. They want to be able to do whatever they want. And then people who do live in cities tend to vote the other way because they, um, you know, it helps them with their lifestyle. It helps them yeah. make ends meet because it's more expensive to live. You know, they feel like they need maybe the government to be a little bit more involved in their lives. And I think it doesn't speak to one per one being wrong and the other being right, but it more speaks to everyone just votes slash supports the candidate who they feel like most supports their lifestyle, right? And yeah. since we have different lifestyles, like we all have the same common goal, um, but I do think we inherently are a little selfish. You know what I mean? We don't yeah. think about like, for instance, I, um, you know, as someone who has predominantly lived, I've lived in a couple cities, but the most of my lift I've, life I've lived like outside a city, like suburb, suburban America has been more where I've lived. And um, I think I wouldn't necessarily understand what someone who lives in a more metropolitan area is going through, right? But like they, uh, that doesn't mean that they're wrong for voting differently than I might possibly do. It just means that they're voting in a way that benefits them a little bit more, right? We're all yeah. very like, I just yeah. feel like we vote according to our own lives in like our own paradigm, even though everyone's paradigm can be very different. And, um, but that doesn't mean, like I said, that doesn't mean one person's wrong and the other person's yeah. right. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. I think that's so interesting. And I don't think that I've ever heard it argued from that perspective before where, you know, the, the vote really goes towards whoever's going to be able to help support the voter or the constituent's mm -hmm. lifestyle. Right. And I think that, you know, when you, when you really look at it, it that way i mean it simplifies it a bit i'm sure that there are, are multiple yeah. other sort of contributing factors but i think when you boil it all down that's sort of what you get yeah. and i think that that's a really interesting uh thing to take away from this um hudson man thank you so much <laughs> for coming on the show yeah um i'm i'm really excited to you know just continue to see how this all plays out yeah I'm glad that i have a friend like you or <laughs> we could just you know outside of the studio talk about this yeah and sort of oh we talk about this all. all the time yeah so yeah thank you absolutely yeah it was good being on the show like i love talking about stuff like this you know that we talk about it like all the time i feel like so it, it will be interesting like i'm i'm what's the word apprehensively excited i guess <laughs> to see what happens <laughs> awesome awesome well, guys, thanks again for tuning in, and we will be back with you next time. Bye.